is being recorded. Okay, and the story begins. All right. Welcome. Is my mic open? Yeah, my mic is open. Sorry. Okay. So, hope everybody's healthy, happy, doing good. Thank God. Good, good. So, we're on chapter 29, which is page 324. That's a long chapter. It's a big chapter. It's a big chapter. It's big in terms of quantity. It's also a loaded chapter. Yes. I think it's fundamental. In some ways, it's a little bit of a downer chapter. And you don't expect this type of approach in a Chabad philosophy. But we'll ride with it. We'll see what we can glean from it. It may seem a little intense at points. Truth is, not so much today's lesson, but maybe next week's. But it's a powerful powerful chapter to, un- to better understand the goal of this chapter and the truth is the entire series of chapters that we've been doing since chapter 26 let's quickly flip back to page to, to chapter 26 just to reestablish and understand what our goal is uh, page 20 sorry chapter 26 the beginning page 296 goal of this, these series of chapters is to develop motivation in our relationship with God. And in this chapter, we said that person, in order for a person to be motivated, to be, what's the word? Not enthusiastic. There was a word that we kept on using, and I kept, it just escaped my mind. Trust me, it was a good word. Alacrity, there we go. (laughs) Thank you. In order to have alacrity and to have motivation in our relationship with God, which is crucial because when when fighting our evil impulse, the winner doesn't go to the stronger person or to the person who's just stronger. Person has to be actually motivated and have energy and alacrity. Alacrity comes from three places. Let's take a look on the bottom bold paragraph of 296. You will only succeed with enthusiasm, alacrity, motivation, whatever we want to call it. Alacrity, motivation, enthusiasm comes from three places, has three sources, which results from number one, joy. Number two, a receptive heart. Number three, being free from any hint of worry or sadness in the world. Number one, being joyous, that leads to motivation. Having a receptive heart. The antithesis antithesis of that would be um, being apathetic. And number three, being worry-free. All those three things contribute towards our alacrity, towards our motivation in our relationship with God. And the truth is in our relationships with with anybody. (laughs) These three items we said are, we, we we are explaining them in reverse order. So in chapters 26, 27, 28, which we've covered the past few weeks, we've covered the last of the three. We addressed being we addressed different worries, whether it's worries of guilt over sins that I may have done, whether it's worries of shame 
being ashamed of who I am inside and feeling different um, internal struggles, whether it's uh, more material worries, all these different kinds of worries, or, or, or whether it's my inability to concentrate during prayer, feeling hypocritical, feeling um, hypocritical. Am I really praying or am I really just my animal souls bothered? We addressed all these different worries. And hopefully addressing these worries will give us more, will kind of release some our souls to shine, have some more motivation in our relationship with God. Now we're going to address the second item, the middle item, a receptive heart. A person does not have a, a receptive heart. A person has a desensitized heart. That leads to lethargy. Lethargy or lethargy? I always get it wrong. Lethargy. Lethargy. Okay. I was, both options were wrong. <laughs> I must have missed that word in school. <laughs> okay. If you go to the middle bold paragraph, big block paragraph on that page, the fourth to last line. Fifth to last, sixth to last line, I'm sorry. It's the middle of that block paragraph. The same is true literally with the fight against your impulse to evil. You simply can't defeat it with sluggishness and lethargy. Where does sluggishness, lethargy, where does that lack of motivation come from? The al is kind of asserting that there's no such thing as chronic laziness, at least for more, most um, well-balanced people. Chronic laziness is not so much the issue, but that actually has a source. It comes from either depression, a lack of joy, a stony and desensitized heart, which is what we're, the, the antithesis of a receptive heart. If we have an open heart, we'll have joy, we'll have motivation. If we are desensitized, if we're apathetic, we, will, we won't be as motivated. And that's exactly what our chapter, chapter 29, is addressing. Let's take a look back on chapter 29, page 324. At the beginning of the chapter, he says there are two concerns that a person may have, and a bainini may have. And I think if it applies to a bainini, it would probably apply to anybody below that standard as well. trying to pray and amidst my prayers I'm not just trying to focus but, but there's a goal in prayer the goal of prayer is to inspire us to wake us up it says in the Talmud that the three daily prayers the morning prayer which is the Shachris the evening prayer the afternoon prayer Mincha the evening prayer Ma'ariv Arvit Respond to the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each one of those patriarchs established those prayers. So Abraham established the Shachrit, the morning prayer, the morning service. And the Talmud brings a verse to back up to, to, to show each one. And the verse that it says is Vayashkem Avraham Baboker, Abraham woke up in the morning, referring to him praying. And the question is, why does it say he woke up? It should have said he prayed. Why he woke up, referring to prayer, just say, and he prayed. The whole purpose of prayer is to wake us up, to inspire us. That's what prayer is all about. 
And we have this guy trying to pray, right? Ourselves, we're trying to get inspired, whether it be in the synagogue, whether it be in our own homes. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to, but it's just not going anywhere. It's just not happening. Going nowhere. My heart's just not receiving it. It happens. It happens to all of us. We, we get this, we just feel desensitized. I try thinking about my relationship with God, his greatness, and I'm just, and I get it intellectually, conceptually, I get it, but I'm not feeling it. And it gets even worse than that. I start to doubt myself. Maybe this is all bogus. Maybe AE, this is just not for me. Maybe this just isn't my thing. Maybe this is just meant for those holy guys in Israel, but no, not me. Because I'm not feeling it. What do I do to feel it? How do I get rid how do I develop sensitivity, emotional sensitivity? How do I get rid of that apathy? Another example he gave. We spoke about earlier, um, toward the end of chapter twenty seven, the idea of impulse control. The difference between the animal soul and the godly soul. The animal soul is impulsive, godly soul is intentional. And the animal soul may be impulsive even toward permitted things. It may be doing something that it is allowed to do from a uh, Jewish law standpoint, from a halachic standpoint. So, kosher steak, nothing wrong with it, right? It was slaughtered properly, it's all kosher. But if I eat it in a gluttonous way and I start stuffing my face like a pig, I'm not doing anything against the Torah in, in, in some senses, but it's still the animal soul. It's still self-centered. It's still impulsive. Godly soul would take a step back and say, wait a minute, let me do this intentionally. How is this going to benefit my relationship with God, my relationship with people? How is this going to make me a better person? It approaches it intentionally, not impulsively. And I'm trying to be intentional and less impulsive. I'm trying to live with my my divine soul less with my godly soul, with my animal soul, right? But again, I understand the idea of being intentional. I understand conceptually the idea of living with a godly soul. But emotionally, I'm just not there. I feel like a, my heart is just like a stone. I'm just not feeling it. These are all issues... I think that most people experience, most Jews definitely experience. Um, I know I experience this all the time. It's part of the battle. I think what's incredible, by the way, what I find to be incredible, the Alter Rebbe, you know, this is a very practical issue. The Alter Rebbe and the author of the Tanya wrote this to address people two centuries ago. It shows us that, you know, people are pretty much the same. He's writing this book to Hasidim, the shtetl, in this Ukrainian shtetl, and beyond, but 200 years ago. These are guys with the big beards and the long, big side locks and the coats, and, but they're experiencing the same issues that we experience. Beyond all the clothing, we're all the same, we all have the struggles, and we're all in this together, and the Alter Rebbe, Gives us these tools to try to figure it out. What is his advice? How do we develop sensitivity? Emotional sensitivity. How do we get rid of that apathy? So he brings an analogy from the Zohar, one of the earlier books on Kabbalah. 
This is on top of page 325. What does he say? Who'd like to read the first paragraph on uh, 325? Mike, go for it. Um, top full, full paragraph or where it says, if a wooden beam? Yeah, exactly, right there. Okay. Just, um, just those few, yeah, you got it. If a wooden beam won't ignite and give out its light, crush it and it will ignite. If a body won't give out the light of its soul, crush it and the soul's light will come out. Okay. So the body's like a log, trying to light that log on fire. Right? Who remembers Logba Omer? <laughs> how long it took to how long it took to start um, that fire? What happens is the wood is just too thick. If the splinter a little bit, if the soften it up. If the wood is too thick and the flame is too small, the log will actually put out the flame. If you drop a big log on a small flame, you're going to put out the flame. But if the wood is, even if it's a big piece of wood, but if it's a little bit softer and a little bit more splintered, now the flame could catch on. So there's two approaches. Number one, you could increase the flame, add more lighter fluid, add more matches. And that was kind of the beginning of Tanya. Let's add more soul, add more fire, add more passion, and this is all necessary. But the focus of this chapter is not add more soul, add more all that is necessary, all that's important, but also we have to figure out how we can condition this log so it can actually receive the flame. How do we condition the body so it actually can get inspired by the soul? How do we develop sensitivity? What happens is our bodies are just a little too thick. Right? We have thick skin in a metaphorical sense. How do we develop sensitivity? So I may, um, you know, one thing I was picking up from this was the differentiation between what's going on with the divine soul and with the animal soul. And like what you were saying, like more matches, more flame is really a comment directed towards the divine soul. And the comment of, of splinter the log, you know, crush the, you know, crush the log is really, uh, the, that, those comments are really directed towards the animal soul, right? So it's 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 both in working, both concepts working together kind of brings brings you to the place that you're ready to be fully open, and uh, it can really kind of connect with Hashem. Amazing, I like it. In other words, one approach is both the approaches are not mutually exclusive; they come together hand in hand. We need both. We need to add more soul. We need to add more passion. We also need to make more room for that soul. We have to give it some space. We have to allow ourselves. We have to somehow, you know, soften ourselves up so we can be a little bit more receptive. Um. Is it like you have to be open to being crushed? So you have to leave yourself open and vulnerable and to being crushed and become a little bit more spiritual so that you are open in whichever way by responding to feedback or allowing yourself to see yourself so that you can understand what's going on to be crushed? I don't know. Yeah. In other words, it's a little bit of vulnerability. 
It's not necessarily vulnerability, being vulnerable to other people, but it's being vulnerable and honest with ourselves. And taking time to really, um, and we'll, we'll discuss it next week, but we'll give actually practical steps to, to meditate on and to think about. But it's really being vulnerable with ourselves, being honest with ourselves, being open fact that we're we're less than perfect and that's okay but let's try to be a little bit more sensitive you know, sometimes our ego gets ahead of us and 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 it takes vulnerability to be able to face ourselves that way and that vulnerability will open us up and here, here's actually what he says if you look on the middle of page 325 where it says 10th adar leap year so right under that what is causing my lack of, what is, why am I so desensitized? Why am I so apathetic? He says it's due to the vulgarity of the klipa. This negative energy, which is in our mind and heart, which exerts itself, falls light, hiding and blocking its light. Basically, so, so we're we're overly involved in klipa, and that's just human nature, right? Klipa means the literal meaning of klipa. We discussed earlier in chapter one, the definition, the literal definition of klipa, shell, translates as shell in Hebrew. Reason why is because or or appeal. So, if I were to hold an orange, say, what is this? You say, Josh, it's an orange. Or sorry, if I were to hold the orange, I would say, what do you see? Say, Josh, I see an orange. No, you don't see an orange. You see an orange peel. You're associated with the peel because that's what you see. And that's what klipa does. That's what this negative energy does. It distorts our perception of life. And we get lost and distracted by what we see. And we focus on what we see rather than what is. And, and this is very, when it comes to um, interpersonal relationships, you know, getting distracted, getting lost. And, and, you know, this is kind of the idea of modesty in Judaism. The idea of modesty is to remind us, let's not get distracted by why, by why bleh, getting tongue twisted, by what we see. Let's focus on what is. What we see is important. What we see is very important. The externalities of a person are very important. But that's not the person much more and it's the same thing with the world we look at the world and we get distracted by what we see but there's so much more to it than to existence than what we see just like a person you don't see a body you see a person because there's a soul there right when a person passes away you say this is a corpse you don't say it's a person anymore because there's no soul there we're only a person once they're alive right because the, the, the connotation there is that you're not just a body, you're a person, you're a body and soul together. And it's the same thing with the world at large. The world is like one big body for God. And what makes the world vibrant is the divine energy backing it up. Just like your soul backs up and gives energy and vitality to your body. But Klippa says, no, there's just a physical world. There's just what you see and that's it. And when we get caught up in klipa, in klipa activity, in negative energy, what he's saying here is 
we desensitize ourselves. We're less sensitive toward the soul. We're less sensitive toward a deeper reality. And that's why we have to take that klipa, that log, splinter it a little bit, allow more, allow it to be able to catch on fire to get the passion of the soul. We have to be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit vulnerable. I think that's what the splintering signal Now, I think this needs to be taken with extreme caution. It has to be taken with extreme caution. It, it, it's a very slippery slope because the goal is not to beat ourselves up. The goal is not to walk. In other words, if at the end of this lesson, if I were to implement everything I learned here tonight, and I felt horrible about myself afterwards, then I did it wrong. Be more careful. I did it wrong. I have to be more careful. I should feel stronger afterwards, not weaker. Going to the gym hurts. Working, I wouldn't know because I don't go too often. Not as often as I should. <laughs> no, I'm, <kidding. laughs> I'm here with my diet coke. Just enjoy. No. <laughs> um, but going to the gym hurts. But the goal is not to hurt yourself. The goal is to get stronger. And if we walk out and all we experience is pain and no strength, no gain, we've did it. We've done it wrong. And j just a story. I don't know if I mentioned this story last week. So recently we started our second Tanya club, our second Tanya club in the morning on Thursday mornings. And now I'm like totally lost. Which story did I say? Which week? I'm like all over the place. But hopefully I didn't tell this story last week. I <laughs> the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, once received a gift from one of his students. He received a little silver tobacco box. The Altsarebbe didn't usually accept gifts. Um, he made an exception. He didn't want to offend the individual. He said, thank you very much. The Altsarebbe also didn't use tobacco. So he disposed of the tobacco or gave it away. I don't know what he did with it. And the story goes, he broke off the cap, the top to the tobacco box. And he used it as a mirror for his tefillin to make sure his tefillin are straight. Tefillin have to be in a very specific place on the forehead, above the hairline, between the eyes. And he'd use this mirror, this tobacco top as a mirror because he didn't want to waste and he doesn't use tobacco. So he's being resourceful. They told this story two generations later to his grandson. His grandson was actually very close with his grandfather because his grand he was orphaned at a young age. The Altsarebbe actually raised his grandson from a very young age. They told this story to his grandson years later. And he said he said that he got his tobacco box, he didn't use tobacco, he took he broke off the fill in mirror. He said, No, it never happened. He said, What do you know? We were there. <laughs> we're telling you this happened. He said, No. My grandfather never do that. There's no way he broke off the top of the tobacco box. It must be hinges somewhere. He unscrewed the hinges and and that's what he did. My grandfather wouldn't break anything. He wasn't a breaker. He was a builder. He didn't break off a mirror. He built a mirror. The whole this is the author of the Tanya of the book that we're learning now. His goal is not to break us, God forbid. His goal is to build us. 
And if we do feel after implementing these exercises, at the very least, please don't attribute that to the Tanya <laughs> or to me. I don't want to get in trouble. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but the goal is not to break us. The goal is to build us. Being vulnerable with ourselves, allowing more room for our souls to come in, to shine, to illuminate, is there to make us stronger. Let's take a share the screen with you. Show you another text. Um, how do I do this? One. Mike, you know how I share the screen? I totally forgot. Yeah, uh, where those are along the bottom, the third one from the left with the up arrow. There we go. Okay. Your screen. Okay. There we go. Okay. Um, not sure what just happened. Try it one more time. Okay, I'm sorry for keeping you guys. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay, can you guys see it? Yep. Okay. Talking about the idea of, put it bluntly, breaking ourselves. To be loose, I think we may have lost Josh there. He's gone. Josh, you still there? Right here in well, he, While he's fixing himself, uh, John, you want to read that? Sure. From Torah or a person could be in a mental place where they cannot intellectually grasp the truth as it is because they do not have a supportive container which are referred to as a cup of salvation to receive supernal kindness, but only when one is an empty vessel. This is not so if one occupied themselves and their own will. This applies to those in the business world as well as the Torah scholars. Whenever they say I, it is because of this that their mind is contaminated and unreceptive. And uh, fortunately, we need Rabbi Josh back. Somebody's up for okay. Wants to take a guess what that means. Oh wait, Josh is back. He can tell us what it means. Yeah, we just read. <laughs> it's sounding very choppy. I'm sorry. No worries. We we just we just finished reading this section. Okay. What? We read from the sheet. Yeah, we read. Did you guys read it? Yes. You did while you were away. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you guys all disappeared on me. <laughs> all from one's perspective. Okay, I'm, I'm going back to the sheet because I didn't get to read it. <laughs> Hold on. There we go. Okay. So a person could be in a mental place where they cannot intellectually grasp the truth as it is because they do not have a supportive container. Jewish people are referred to as a cup of salvation, like we say in Havdalah Kos Yeshuot, cup of salvation, to receive supernal kindness, to receive something divine or high, 
lofty, but only when one is an empty vessel. In other words, our goal is not to break our vessel so much, as much as it is just to empty it, to allow more room. This is not so if one is preoccupied with themselves and their own will. It's very easy to get caught up, and now there's no room for soul, because we're just, the hard drive is full. So we kind of have to, you know, delete some downloads that we have <laughs> and make more room. This applies to those in this business world as well as the Torah scholars. So it applies to everybody. Whenever they say I, whenever a person's arrogance gets in the way and the focus is around what they want, right? That's the animal soul. So now there's less room for the divine soul. It's because of this that their mind is contaminated and unreceptive. Is that kind of related to, um, it was said about Hillel that he used to refer to his not he wouldn't say I he would say it's time to feed him or exactly exactly so that's actually that's referenced in this chapter oh okay exactly that that's kind of the idea so I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that the Altireb makes it clear that this challenge that we're experiencing this challenge that we're trying to um, to overcome is exclusive to the Bainini. It may apply to the Russia too, I imagine. I'm trying to, I can't feel my soul. I'm too insensitive. The Tzaddik doesn't have this issue. Why doesn't the Tzaddik have this issue? The Tzaddik doesn't, what? Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say because the, you know, the, the from the Tzaddik's perspective, uh, there's only the divine the divine soul uh, in the picture. I mean, while the animal soul may exist uh, within the tzaddik, it's been completely transformed to good. So there's no negative negative influence from it any longer. Exactly. In other words, the tzaddik doesn't struggle with being aware and inspired by his soul because he is the soul. The tzaddik doesn't have a soul, he is a soul. Tzaddik has a body, but he is a soul. For us regular folk, on the other hand, we have a soul. We are a body. That's the perspective we live from. We live from the body's perspective. We live from the animal soul's perspective. And like we said in chapter 27, nothing to be ashamed about. That's the way we're wired, and that's fine. Everybody has their job. Because we live from the prism, from the perspective of the body of the animal soul, we're bound to feel sensitized. It's we're likely to have a difficult time accessing that soul. And what he says on page three twenty six. Um, the middle of page 326, middle bold paragraph, the two-liner. Because in the case of the Benoni, the case of this middle person, the negative energy of the Sitra Akhra, what we describe as Klipa, is identified with the actual person himself. Right? That is the person. I'm going to jump to the top of 327. 
And on the top of 327, and regarding the divine soul, we say, quote from the morning liturgy, the divine soul which you placed in me is pure. The text is precise in stating that the divine soul was placed in me. God gave me the soul, implying that that's not who I am, it's something that I have. Implying that you yourself are not the divine soul, since the divine soul was placed into yourself. In other words, us, we are a body, that's our life perspective. Our life perspective is self-oriented, that's human nature. Going back to the debate between Freud and Viktor Frankl. <laughs> this particular portion of Tanya would likely side with Freud. That's who we are, that's our perspective, and we have a soul. Somewhere distant. down to the middle bold paragraph though tzaddik is the exact opposite in the case of tzaddikim for whom it is the other way around and the pure soul the divine soul is the self the tzaddik is the soul the tzaddik doesn't have a soul he is a soul and their bodies don't represent their core identity it's more external and that's like like john said hillel the great sage Hillel Talmud used to say he's going to do his body a favor because he didn't identify with the body, he identified with the soul. In other words, the way a tzaddik sees it is my body is just there to contain my soul, but my soul is really who I am. And the way most of us see it, I'm a soul, and I'm trying to get in. I'm a body, sorry. And I'm an animal soul. I'm a self-oriented, driven person. And I'm trying to get inspired by something abstract and external. Two different worlds. Two very different worlds. In chapter 32 of Tanya, the Al-Tareb, the author, says that the whole purpose the whole goal of Torah, the most fundamental principle in Judaism, love your fellow as yourself, is all based on this idea, how we view ourselves. Making that paradigm shift in our minds. That in essence, I'm not a body, I am a soul. Deep down inside. Deep down inside, it's like it says in scripture, I forgot exactly where this is quoted. Va'amech kulam tzadikim. Your nation are entirely righteous. You are, we are all tzaddikim, deep down inside. Deep down inside, there is this pure, it is our core identity. Reflecting back on what we learned in chapter 18, 19. Every Jew is driven down to his core to retain his relationship with God. Because that soul, the chachma of the soul, the inquisitive open part of the soul that is open to to the truth. And we're not always aware of it. Sometimes it's sleeping and sometimes it takes drastic and dramatic situations to inspire us. But there is that soul deep down inside. There is that righteous self deep down inside. And when we make that paradigm shift, I'm not a body, I'm a soul. The way we look at other people, we don't see their body, we see their soul. That's why righteous people always see the good in people. You want to know if somebody's really righteous? If they never see bad in people, they just see potential. For the most of us, we see 
try to find the good in people because we're busy trying to find the good in ourselves. But once we realize, no, we are good, we have this. So once we're inspired by it and, and, not, and not just conceptually understand it's there, that's how we view other people. This is the last in greater detail in chapter 32, an incredible chapter. But it's very relevant here. It's one big puzzle here. Questions, thoughts, comments, controversy. So the tzaddik, uh, the one who only sees good in others and can't see evil, do they um, suffer, or I mean, how do they how do they uh, escape all negative uh, things happening to them, or is it that they're able to see every single negative as a some positive aspect. Good question. Good question. At, at Sadiq will ex experience um, suffering, at least neurologically. <laughs> Emotionally, perhaps not. But definitely neurologically. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. It's not an area where I have much experience. <laughs> the Altarebbe the author of the Tanya, the, the real name of Tanya, we call it the Book of Tanya, but its real name is the Book of the Bainini. Because the whole book is describing how to become this Bainini, this middleman. The Al-Tarebbe did write a book of Tzadikim. He wrote the Book of the Tzadik. Sequel, it's like the part two, right? Sequel to the Book of the Bainini. Once you master becoming a Bainini, become a Tzadik. There was a Hasidic leader who was a contemporary of the Al-Tarebbe, Known as the Shpala Zeda. He's the grandfather of Shpala. He was a famed Hasidic personality. He approached the Al Rebbe and he was displeased with his publication of the Book of the Tzaddik. He said, The world is not ready for such a revelation, and I suggest you take it back. This is not something that the world can handle. The world's not ready for it. This is too premature. Take it back. The Al-Tarebbe did not heed his warning. And not too long after, in the Al-Tarebbe's Al home burned on fire, many of his manuscripts were lost. A lot of his halachic writings and a lot of his other manuscripts were lost, among which were his, the Book of the Tzaddik. Those manuscripts were also lost. That very same day, the Shpalazeda passed away. It's a very mysterious story. It's a very it's a weird story. But the reason why I say that is because I don't I can't tell you too much about the tzaddik just because I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's a good question. Question. So because we're not tzaddikim, speak for myself. <laughs> because I haven't made this paradigm shift and totally internalized the divine soul. I still have an animal soul that is quite prevalent. I'm still very much I still much see life through the prayer body and I'm just trying to get inspired by my soul. So I have to somehow, number one, increase passion in my soul, which is beginning the Tanya's general goal, but I have to make more room for it. 
develop more sensitivity. Splinter that log a little bit, make it a little bit less. Reminds me of a Passover insight. Passover is coming up in one week. And at the Passover Seder, the four sons, right? There's the four sons sitting at the table, each representing a different verse in Torah, asking their questions, right? There is the wise son. There is the wicked son. The son is the son who doesn't know how to ask. And the Haggadah tells us how to approach each of those four sons in telling them the Passover story. Each deserve their own response, which, by the way, is a whole other lesson. Powerful lesson in education. You have to not answer the question, but answer the person. Each response. Each get their own explanation of how to interpret the Passover story. It has to be interpreted objectively, correctly. But they each deserve it, and it has to be done in their own way. Like the verse. In Proverbs, King Solomon says, educate a child according to his way. It's another powerful lesson. But that's not the insight I wanted to say. That's the insight I didn't want to say. And I said it anyways. <laughs> you know the public speaker? He gets up and he says, he doesn't want to scare the crowds. He says, I just have one thing to say at a time. <laughs> so we have these four sons, the wicked son. We respond to the wicked son. How do we respond to the wicked son? Very unusually. Anybody remember from last year? Haggadah said, uh, you, you blunt his teeth. Good. You blunt his teeth. We seem to not appreciate his cynicism. And we say to the wicked son, this is your answer. We're quite sharp with him. And we blunt his teeth. It doesn't seem like the Jewish approach. You won't see that approach too often in the Chabad movement. I'll tell you that. What is going on here? So unusual. So weird. It's almost inappropriate. So, no, it's inappropriate. I've got a theory. Okay, let's hear it. Well, um, because the, the wicked son seems to be so self-absorbed, this is uh, an opportunity for his father to uh, to crush and splinter the log and allow the wicked son to open up to receive the divine energy. Okay, good. I like it. We're not punishing the wicked son. We're not trying to torment him. We're not beating him up. We're trying to sensitize him because he's just... Why blunt his teeth? You look at the Hebrew word that's used in the Haggadah. It says shinav. Shinav means his teeth. You know what shinav also means? Shinav means his shin. The letter his shin. You wanted to say his letter shin, which doesn't most comments, right? His letter shin, the Hebrew letter shin. You'd say shinav, his shin. So don't read it, blunt his teeth, blunt his shin. The letter shin. What does the letter Shin represent? So there's a interesting discussion in the Talmud about the Hebrew letters. The rabbis are discussing the meanings, the 
all the different Hebrew letters. It goes through the alphabet, explaining the shapes, the juxtapositions of the Hebrew letters, the shapes of the Hebrew letters, the order that they're in. Interesting discussion. And when they get to the letter Shin, they said, you know what Shin is? Shin is an acronym. I'll probably guess this one wrong. Okay. But, um, the, the Shin, if you think about a shape, seems to be like an open vessel. Maybe two open vessels right next to each other. Okay, there the... we go. It has two open vessels. <laughs> anyway, that seems to be kind of receptive. Okay. I like it. I like it. It's not what it says there, but I do like it. Okay. The letter Shin, it says, is an acronym for the word Sheker, which starts with the Shin. Sheker means lie. Lies. We blunt his Shin. His Sheker. His lies. He's blinded by Klippa, by this negativity, and that's what we're blunting. We're knocking the lies out of hitting him. We're hitting his lies that he's living with because he's living life masked by these lies. It says Talmud, and we quoted the times earlier in Tanya, that by nature, this divine soul to not go against what God Uh -oh. oh, we lost our we lost our fearless leader again. Everybody lost Josh. It's awesome. <laughs> I thought it was only me. Yeah, I, uh, I wonder if all, all the people in LA are using their internet at the same time. <laughs> there is a very large the, uh, population in Tarzana, so maybe they're all having Tanya class now. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> So the Zoom uh, WebEx sessions, the Haggadah. Everybody's going to be in the wrong boat. You know, they they're going to be confused. <laughs> it's a shit. <laughs> David, were you going to say something? Oh yeah, the the Haggadah doesn't usually explain that at all. It just it seems inappropriate when when it talks about dealing with the evil son. It, it, it's always been a yeah. They didn't say that the dad was the dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Mac, the okay. Mac 12 okay, house so version please, doesn't okay, there we uh, go. explain much. Sorry, I'm sorry. We were having a very uh, lighted conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> we figured it all out, Josh. We ended up back at the Maxwell House version <laughs> of the Haggadah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. So, so we, we lost you when you were talking about uh, to, 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 to uh, blunt the, the Sheker, the, the, the lie. Okay. okay, so we're not hitting the wicked son. We're just blunting his, not even blunting his teeth, his shin. The letter shin is an acronym for Sheker, for lies. We're trying to desensitize him from the lies that he's. We're trying to give him a reality check. The Talmud says that a person, and we, we quoted this several times in earlier in Tanya, by nature, the default setting on him, on, on our nature is to not sin and is to do mitzvahs and to do the right thing because we have this soul that wants it, but we have this delusional spirit that masks us. 
that confuses us. This wicked son is just confused. He needs a little bit direct, a little bit of direction. He needs inspiration, but he has to be a reciprocal for that inspiration. So he, we have to soften and soften him up a little bit. Now, I'm not suggesting that we diagnose who is wicked. Serves <laughs> vulnerable beating. It's not the suggestion here, <laughs> but what I am suggesting, we ourselves sometimes feel desensitized. Feel like that son, that wicked son. We feel desensitized. We feel cynical. Is any of this really the way the wicked son asks it? If you look in the Haggadah, he doesn't use the, the expression "we." Uses the expression "you" as if he's excluding. Sometimes we feel like we're we feel excluded. We feel like this applies to you guys, and I'm just the outsider. And sometimes we need a little bit of we got to be a little bit vulnerable with ourselves. Say, wait a minute. No, I'm not the outsider. I have a soul, and I want to feel this soul. I want to feel the inspiration, and I just need a little bit be a little bit vulnerable with myself. To Realize that what's getting in the way of my soul is my own self, and I just need to step out of the way a little bit. I'm not here to break myself. I am here to open myself. We're not hitting our own teeth, God forbid. We're hitting the shin, the sheker, the confusion. The goal here, end of tonight's discussion, is to give us more clarity, not to make us weaker, not to, God forbid, beat us up. How do we go about developing that sensitivity? How do we go about developing, softening ourselves up, splintering that wood so the fire could catch on? Softening up the body, the klipa, so that the soul can, can inspire us. That's going to be next week's discussion, two weeks from now. Or three weeks from now, after Passover. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Right. So, um, I'll go ahead and stop the recording here. Okay. Any questions, thoughts, reflections? So we're not meeting next week. No. So next week, my calendar here. This time. Uh, time next week. Seder time next week will be. This time, we'll be golfing down a lot of matzah. <laughs>